This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's... The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and when you started investing, did you have a financial starter kit? Neither did today's guest, which is why she created one for all of us. Today, we'll chat about building a solid foundation with Simone B's. Plus, are you spending money during the pandemic? We'll find out who's spending and what they're spending on during our headline segment with the CEO of Affinity Solutions, Jonathan Silver. And last, but far from being least, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Tyler, who wants to gift his soon-to-be-born niece or nephew a Christmas gift in the form of investments. How's the best way he can do this? And I'll wow you with some investing-related trivia. And now, two guys who could take a lesson from Tyler and gift their favorite podcast host a financial gift. Yeah, I'm talking about me. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Podcast host? Aren't we the podcast host? I'm getting a gift. Is that what Doug said? Apparently, we're getting gifts. I like gifts. Way to go, Doug. All right. Thanks, buddy. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table celebrating another Monday. It's Mr. OG. How was your weekend, my friend? Just perfect. You know, nice weather. Got to play a little golf. Did a little bit of that. You know, I got to tell you, I'm having trouble. I'm having it's trouble. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it's not golf weather up by you, it um, is, but you yes. live actually close to me now, so it is kind of golf weather by you still. Went hiking at this cool place, uh, Casa Tot, which okay. is um, Native American for skull crusher, I found out this weekend. So uh, I apologize because I don't remember the tribe that called it skull crusher, but I do remember skull crusher. Yeah, that's the important part of that lesson. Yes, that's the name of the river, by the way. That's what they call it. It's the Casatot River and Skull Crusher River. So I, I'm not going to be bathing in that anytime soon, apparently. Just in case. Just a safety tip. Yes. Thank you very much, people that were here before me. Man, we got a great show today. Simone Bees. Her friends call her Bees. She created this book that people kept talking about, the Financial Starter Kit. I kept hearing about it all over the place. And I said, you know what? We got to talk to bees about this starter kit. Cause how great would it be to be 22 years old, like rewind everything and go back to the beginning. 
I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Ah, glory days, man. How wealthy would you be? You wouldn't pass up any of that. You're like my grandpa. You're my, so happy. My being, kids or my wife? Yes. You wouldn't pass it up anyway. I've known you long enough to know. But I think if we went back to 22, I would still be married. So I would just be a newlywed at that point. <laughs> you would be. But my question is, how wealthy would you be now? Do I get to go back in time and know the future? Well, just have like, the- Like, so I can, like, Tesla options? Is that- <laughs> No. Maybe that'd be cool. No, the, if I could just get it on Zoom, like I don't need to be 22. I just need to be 51. I know. <laughs> give me, give me that. Can we get another pandemic next year just for, cause I know what stocks are going to go up. It'd be great. Well, like what disease can we have? Cause oh. I will totally go. Oh, pass. Did I, did I jinx it? Okay. I'm knocking. Yes. Yeah. Don't say that. And thank goodness we can even joke about it. Cause it's uh, bad for some people out there. What else can you do? That's true. If, if you got to laugh or you cry. Hey, but we are going to have a great episode today. We've got a great headline with our new friend, Jonathan Silver from Affinity Solutions. They track uh, people's spending. And we're going to hear about spending during the pandemic and during the holiday season. And Simone B. B's waiting in the basement. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I don't know if you saw this last week, OG, but as our first headline, there were a couple of major league IPOs last week. How many did you get in on? Uh, exactly zero. How about you? I, uh, none also, because uh, normal people don't get IPOs. They get the secondary market, which happens the nanosecond that it lists. And everybody thinks they're getting the IPO, but... And that's how the founders make their money. IPOs, this is a good lesson, I think, for people, OG, that um, mm -hmm. IPOs are not for you. IPOs are for the founders to finally get to cha-ching the cash register. Well, yeah. I mean, it's basically, you know, they're trying to raise capital so that they can grow the business more and, and take a little skin out of the game. Now, a lot of these founders still have tons and tons and tons of money in it and all the... VC money that went into it at the very beginning have tons and tons of money, but it's an it's a liquidity event for them for sure. But when you see things like, hey, DoorDash was up a hundred percent on their IPO day, and you say, I'm gonna do that with the next one. I'm just gonna wait and then I'm gonna as soon as they list it, I'm gonna hit submit on my trade. No, no. It's up a hundred percent from the what they priced it at the morning before. The first trade happened up the hundred percent. Like you don't <laughs> If you tried to buy DoorDash on the IPO at that moment, you're probably negative right now. That is actually the purpose of our first headline. This comes to us from CNBC. It's written by Tyler Clifford. DoorDash debut is a lesson in placing market orders, says this up and coming dude named Jim Kramer. Not sure if you've ever heard of this guy, Kramer. Kid's going to be something someday. He's like the dude from the Weather Channel, right? <laughs> oh, no, that's Cantori. Different guy. Standing in the wind. Wouldn't it be amazing if he was standing on, on Wall Street in the middle of the wind? Bye, 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 Sell, 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 this sell, This is sell. growing crazy. You can see this as a Cat 5 market appreciation day. <laughs> That's what we should do. That's... We should have like, what is that, the uh, Fujitsu scale for tornadoes and the Saffir Simpson scale or something like that for hurricanes. We should have like a, a level that we can, that's eh, just an F1. Eh. <laughs> I don't even need to like stop eating dinner. The SB scale. But I think that uh, if, no, no, I'm not saying, uh, well, I guess we could do it. We could start it out. Yeah, We could idea. do it. All right, what's Jim Kramer got to say? 
Well, Kramer says that it's true that people using market orders took DoorDash to levels that maybe dot, 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 were far higher than they thought they'd have paid. So here's what happened at the open with DoorDash. People bought, to your point, they wanted in, right? So they placed this trade and a lot of new traders might not know this, but when you trade a stock before the market opens and it's a market order, the computer just goes out there and buys it as soon as they possibly can. Just goes and, and hey, I want to buy this stock. At the market. Don't care the price. You should probably care about the price though. Yeah. They didn't know any better. They buy it at the open so they can get it as quick as they can. And what ends up happening is all of these buys continually, because this is what a market does. If there's a lot of buyers, it's sold like it's an auction. Who will give me the most money? So the price keeps going. The pressure's up and up and up and up and up. DoorDash, by the way, was priced at 102. And when it hit the secondary market, to your point, the second you could buy it on the secondary market. So basically the first trade, yeah, the first trade possible. 182 bucks. There you go. That was the best case scenario. Well, and you were expecting maybe, I mean, let's be realistic. Maybe you were expecting 120. Like if you kind of knew what was going on, like, okay, maybe it's 120. All right. Is what it is. $182. If you got the first trade and it's all, well, not all, but partly because of market orders. Jim Cramer. (laughs) Maybe. He talked about this thing, which I thought you and I could talk about too, called a limit order. He says, with a limit order, the transaction won't go through if the price goes beyond the level you're comfortable with, the Mad Money host said, explaining his preference for limit over market order. So if you're going to get into this type of a thing, there's all kinds of different ways to uh, buy these things, OG. And here, a limit order might have helped some people avoid sticker shock. Oh, well, I mean, it would have totally saved your bacon if you knew the day before, like you said, that there was going to price at between 90 and 100 and you said, eh, I expect it to go up a little bit, but I don't want to pay more than 110 And you put that in at 110 and you looked at your computer after it opened, and you would, you would have been like, holy crap, I'm so glad I didn't buy it at 180 Especially if you knew that the first, the first trade was at 180 Yeah, it totally would have saved your bacon. And it goes the other way, too. You, know, you can put limit orders on sales so you don't get hosed. I, you know, the more and more that trading gets accessible throughout the day. I mean, it used to be, right? Like if you go way back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, what would you do? You would call your broker. You'd say, sell my hundred shares of Pepsi. And then he would say, okay. And then he would call somebody and say, Mr. Joe wants to sell a hundred shares of Pepsi. And that guy would go, hold on a second. And then he would call somebody, you know what I mean? Like it was this long drawn out process. And then finally, some few days later, you'd get the money in your account. You know, it was had to settle and you had to pr- drive your stock certificate down to the broker, <laughs> sign it and give it to them. You know, you used to have to do all that stuff. And then it turned into, you know, more electronic trading. And, and now it's all done almost instantaneously. Bam. And it used to be 930 in the morning till, till four o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time. But now there's extended trading. You can trade after hours if you want. And so, you know, if you get into this or if you're going to do some of it, you got to know what you're getting yourself into and be able to use the tools because they already exist. The tools already exist to help you mitigate any downside, you know, kind of blow up occurrences. You know, if you bought DoorDash, 
last week. You're hanging out there at 180 going, I hope it goes up from here. Not even that. I mean, there were times last week it was trading as low as the low 160s. So while you thought you were getting a stock at 102, I mean, how great is it to get it at 102 and bam, you're at 160 versus you bought it at 180 because you don't know what a limit order is. Yep. And, uh, and, and now you're and, down 20 bucks a share or more, but even more than that, you know, let's talk about that big takeaway that you said at the beginning of this discussion, OG, there are plenty of companies out there that have data, right? When a company's public, you get quarter over quarter data. They're required by law to provide you with all this, this data. So I know how much free cash flow they have. I mean, don't get me wrong. CFOs are fantastic at still making things look pretty at least the the great CFOs are, but I do get some data. I kind of know what they're selling. I know what revenue is coming in the front door. I get an idea of what they're thinking because it all has to be pretty public. With DoorDash, there's nothing they had to tell us until last week. So I'm buying this based on what? Based on hype? Based on... Based on the fact that I order DoorDash four times a week. Right? <laughs> you say to invest in what you know. Why does the driver high-five me every time? I've yet to see the same person for DoorDash. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good business or not a good business. And like you said, they ha- you know, with IPOs, they have to publish some information to give you the stuff. But you know, the reality is, unless you're a... Sounds a little below the belt here. But unless you're a somebody, you're not getting IPOs. You got to have a somebody that's helping you get them anyway. And unless you're a somebody, you're not getting them. So this is a great example of, hey, maybe maybe DoorDash is worth 180 bucks a share. Maybe it's worth 160 or maybe it's worth 100 Who knows? But you can let the initial volatility of this kind of play itself out, wait a quarter or two, and see if, to your point, Joe, hey, they're as profitable as they thought they would be, or what's the, really the demand look like? And something as cyclical as DoorDash, I don't want to say cyclical, but I suspect, I don't know about you, I'm going to go out to restaurants again someday. And I hope so. Sooner than later, I hope. I so hope so. (laughs) You know, I can only eat so many Chipotle burritos from my own desk, you know. (laughs) And then you click the wrong button and you get a carnita one instead of a carne asada one. And then you're like, whatever. Well, just Chipotle in general. I didn't know you were on a weight loss diet. You don't like Chipotle? Well, when I like to lose, is it too too late for that joke? Like, is that joke dead now? Is Chipotle finally past oh, the point talking that about we can, like the all the uh, all the salmonella poisoning, all the stuff. food food issues that they had? Oh, yeah. yeah, I haven't even haven't thought about it in two years. It's, that's yeah. all. Got, it's it's funny. There's like post COVID jokes and pre COVID jokes, and yeah. COVID kind of washed away all that stuff. I was like, yeah, you. I guess you kind of do lose weight if you eat. Thanks for noticing. I mean, between this and Chick Fil A, I, I think. <laughs> I think I'm maintaining a pretty healthy diet, but thank you. Thank you for the observation. Well, in our second headline, how are people spending during the pandemic? How has 2020 changed buying habits? Well, I don't know, but I know a guy who might. Jonathan Silver, CEO of Affinity Solutions, joins us on my dead shortwave radio. How are you, man? I'm doing good, Joe. Nice to see you. And thanks for having me on your show. Well, I'm glad that you could help us because so many things have changed how has buying for you changed? How have your personal spending habits changed this year, Jonathan, versus prior years? I come up with a list of what I need and I hand it to my significant other who adds it to her shopping list. No, I look at it as an opportunity to get out and to engage with the world. And so I do like to take the occasional trip to the grocery store. But I would say my discretionary spending, and I think I'm typical of many as we're seeing in the data we have, 
there's not a lot of discretionary spending going on in the Jonathan Silver household. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask next is you guys track about, my understanding is about 90 million cardholder transactions in 3,000 different financial institutions. Have people shut down for the most part? Actually, no. So this is the head scratcher. You know, we have 90 million cards, as you just said. We follow their spend every single day uh, across categories, across channels. The good news is we're seeing a significant year-over-year spend every single month. Uh, We track against the uh, monthly retail trade survey from the census. Uh, Our data goes much deeper by state, by geography, obviously by demographic segment. And we're seeing pretty consistently across the board that there's a you know, I think this month we're seeing at least a four and a half percent increase year over year in November. Looking wow. That's right. Yeah. I got to think, though, Jonathan, that the way people are spending has to be a lot different, like where they're shopping, where they're spending money must be a lot different than this time last year. Dramatically different. So uh, it took three years of projected progression towards online spend e-commerce and compressed it into seven months. Um, I mean, we always like to say, you know, when when you're at home and you have to buy something online or buy online, pick up curbside, you do it once. It's a novelty. You do it twice. It's kind of intriguing. You do it three times. It becomes a habit. And I think we're seeing just a tremendous uh, adoption that's likely to persist after uh, this pandemic uh, is behind us. I was looking through your data before we got on the shortwave here and it, it looks to me, tell me if I'm interpreting this right, that auto, exp- auto expenses, and this is no shock to me if it is true, people's spending on auto expenses are way down. Uh, well, that's true. Um, I happen to have an electric car and I get rebates based on how much I use it. And I've gotten very few rebates this month so, and the last several months. So no, I think uh, car expenditures are way down, although it's starting to pick up. What we are seeing is retail is reinventing themselves in this new environment with a have to uh, you know look at not just online versus offline, but buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup, home delivery, uh, restaurants like Domino's and Pizza Hut are reinventing the whole home delivery experiences to be totally contactless and personalized. Domino's, you can order the food to be delivered at the front door, the side door, the back door. You know, it's highly personalized. But the pandemic, the spending is not the same across all segments. Uh, we're seeing, for example, the higher income folks, they're reduction in spending was far greater than lower income uh, because so much of their spending was discretionary and they could step back and say, I guess I won't do the things that I do that I don't need to do. Um, And so they have uh, significantly reduced it and their recovery has been a lot slower. And what's really intriguing is that the lower income folks who depend on the spending of higher income folks in certain discretionary categories like restaurants, where many low income folks may be servers or nail salons or other service establishments, so the interesting thing about this uh, recession and recovery is that the depression of spending among higher income people directly impacts the lower income folks who depend on that spending by higher income people. Well, and there's another thing I'm wondering that's impacted too, which is if we're spending more online, you talk about how our habits have changed, right? The curbside pickups and all these, these are practices that you know better than me that the big boys and big girls have adopted. What does this mean for the little retailer? Yeah. So that's interesting. The ones that are, you know, that already had some infrastructure already baked for, you know, home delivery or for e-commerce, it was a lot easier for them to double down and triple down on that and make changes. Those that didn't have anything in place were somewhat challenged. I mean, there's obviously existing infrastructure companies that can provide them, you know, Shopify, for example, Amazon has their platform for small businesses. 
But um, for companies that weren't organized that way, they weren't used to marketing that way, it was a much more difficult trend. But once we get past this pandemic, you're going to see a renaissance of businesses, big and small, that will move towards this direct-to-consumer type of delivery model. Well, I think a lot of us want to do that, right? We want to support the local person if we can. So I think that's going to be an exciting time for people. You know, we talked about auto expenses being down. I wonder if there's also a flip side of that. Early on in the pandemic, we kept hearing about people fixing up the office, deciding to do work around the home. We've had guests on talking about how, you know, you can't find a plumber anywhere right now, Jonathan, because everybody's getting their stuff fixed. Are you seeing building expenses and home improvement expenses still staying robust? Yeah, it's actually home improvement went way up uh, in November. I think it was up like 20%. People are... This is where they're hanging out. They better be organized and set up in a way that is fitting the new reality that we're all in. So we've seen a significant growth there for sure. Uh, And even those companies, those home furnishing companies have had to reinvent. You know, you're used to always touching and feeling some of the things that you're buying uh, for home furnishings. You know, people are more accustomed to buying online. How's this holiday season changed from last year? So interestingly, like I said, November was up, uh, even though it was not up, not as much as September, October, it was still up and we're bullish. One of the things that was a bit of a head scratcher is despite the fact that the second uh, stimulus checks haven't been uh, delivered yet, I think there's a general positive view that it's going to come. And so despite the uncertainty, uh, we've seen a pretty significant increase. Some of that could be shifted spend, right? Because people haven't been traveling as much. Uh, services are down. And so, you know, when we talk about merchandise sales and product sales being up four, five, six percent over the last several months, it's partly because there's a, a suppression of spend and travel on certain services. It's also a little bit of pantry loading, you know, people sort of wanting to make sure they have enough stuff in the house yeah. so they'll buy forward. And then the reverse, which is some folks uh, who suppressed their spending in March and April and May, there was this sort of pent up demand that sort of manifested itself in uh, July, August, September, October, and beyond. Well, and I'm also wondering with your big October number, and to your point, still up in November, but not as much, if people started their shopping a little earlier this year. Interestingly, we always had this idea of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and that's all gone out the window. I think in aggregate, we're seeing incremental spend versus the prior year. That's impressive, but you're not seeing these crazy spikes, Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, you're seeing a lot of these retailers do their own prime days. Uh, Amazon moved their prime day earlier right. and Target and Macy's and others have these, you know, significant sale days that are driving spend much more evenly throughout the holiday period. You guys go pretty deep in your data. And I don't know if you know this, Jonathan, but we had an election uh, about a month ago. I don't know if you recall that. I heard about it. I think there's some question about who won, but I think <laughs> yeah. you know, we all know <laughs> Well, we won't even get into that. We'll phrase it this way on purpose. Post-election day, when you looked at people that identify as one party or the other, have you seen changes based on political affiliation and how people have spent since that day? Since the election itself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We've seen a lot of differences in Republican-leaning states versus Democratic-leaning states. And I think some of the Southern states that tended to be more Republican-leaning that were less anxious in their public service messages around the pandemic, they actually had a more robust economy. They grew faster. They had more cases. (laughs) They had more coronavirus cases, unfortunately, uh, for the population. But the economy uh, did better than the states in the North and certain Midwest states that didn't have a significant, uh, that sorry, that had a more significant message around the pandemic. So that's a little bit correlated with um, uh, Democratic versus Republican. But in general, uh, post-election, I think we're all pretty impressed 
that the uh, the spending has continued to uh, show increases year over year. And I think maybe just people getting certainty or clarity around who won and, and getting comfortable with that, I think we'll see a, a little more consumer confidence uh, resulting from that. If I'm somebody in marketing, purchasing, I own a small business, I work in a big business, um, what's your biggest takeaway right now from this data we just talked about, Jonathan? So our our business is taking all those uh, spending patterns from 90 million consumers that we get in real time and making that data available to businesses so they can engage their customers in a privacy controlled way to you know those businesses that are using data to engage customers in near real time uh, showing the share of wallet of customers understanding that Joe may be spending you know three times as much at a competitor versus at their store is incredibly valuable to make decisions in the moment to engage with those retailers it's not just direct to consumer it's not just being able to uh, be nimble with regard to these new buying channels. It's really about how data is used to personalize the buying experience. So we see a world of hyper-personalization uh, where more and more you'll walk into a store and it'll become, you know, the Joe Saul Say store. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Close so enough. Become, yeah. It'll become your store. I mean, literally with virtual reality, augmented reality, parallel reality, we were at a conference in January at, um, at the uh, Consumer Electronic, what was called the Consumer Electronic Show, now it's called CES, right. before the world ended, where Delta was about to introduce something where you and I could be standing in front of the same billboard. You're seeing only things related to your flight, what time you have to be at the gate, uh, the restaurant down the terminal that matches your food preferences, the weather in the destination city. And I'm looking at the same exact billboard and I'm only seeing things related to me and nothing to do with Joe. And there's no special glasses that is, you know, and we're seeing the same thing. That technology... Put aside travel that was put on pause. You're going to see the same thing in retail stores where data will enable hyper-personalized experiences in physical stores and in homes. And I know the one thing you guys, guys like you, I'm sure are wrestling with too, is how do we do this in a way that's not big brother creepy, right? I mean, there certainly is a line there, I would think. There is an absolute line and it really comes down to consumer permission. It's it's being done in a fully transparent way. We have uh, this notion of a personal data cloud. So Joe and Jonathan, it's our data, it's your credit card data, it's your item level data, it's your location data. All this stuff that's being done anonymously behind the scenes needs to be fully transparent. And that personal data cloud, you will be able to provision or permission that data for this application and not that application. And that's the choice, that's the power in the hands of the consumer that you'll see going forward. And for those who want more, uh, we'll link to Affinity Solutions at our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Jonathan, happy holidays and thank you for sharing some time with us. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure and I'm happy to be here. Big thanks to Jonathan for the call. Not surprising data there about cars or about uh, home office OG, but the fact people are still spending money. Maybe good news for the economy. Since we live in a spending debt-based economy, good things for companies. Don't know how great that is for the average person's budget. If people are making not that much more money and still spending as usual. If you're uh, not paying attention to your cash flow, you know, month over month and not making any adjustments, either one of two things is going on. Either A, everything's super great in your world and uh, you haven't missed a beat, which is awesome. That's great. And if that is the case, keep eating DoorDash and buying gifts and all that sort of stuff. It does help the economy. <laughs> if you are uh, experiencing some issues and you're still living like yesterday, you probably are going to have to pay that piper eventually. So... Sooner than later, you got to kind of reel that in, I think. I think we'll call that lesson number one. Lesson number two from our first headline, know your limit orders. 
understand those, but probably even better advice. It's okay to have fun reading all the headlines about IPOs, but maybe best for most of us to just stay away from being the first sucker who buys it right out of the gate. That was strong. Sucker. How about that, huh? I know all the big words. Here is something I love talking about, getting your financial starter kit in shape. And I heard about this book over and over and over. And I asked Simone B, better known as Bees, who's an engineer from Arlington, Virginia, if she would share some of the basic lessons from the financial starter kit And she agreed that she could do that for us. So today we're going to learn about setting your financial foundation. What does it mean? What should you do? We'll also have Simone tell you her story. Because what I love about Simone is that she's not your average, you know, financial professional. Like, you know, we had David Concanon on Friday from Vanguard. He might be bathed in this stuff. This is just somebody who messed up with money and then got it right and decided to bring other people along with her. So super excited. Simone B, a.k.a. Bees, on my dad's shortwave radio. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Simone B, or Bees. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Joe? Thanks for inviting me on today. Well, I'm so happy you could be here because, and I have to tell you, your book, uh, more than maybe any book I saw this year was all of a sudden all over me. Like in our Facebook group, the basement, when people were graduating, they'd say, what should people get? I'd be in other Facebook groups and they're like, okay, what's a good resource. And everybody's talking about the financial starter kit. That is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. I'm glad that everybody's so receptive to my book. Just how we were talking about before we got on this call. It's just, I wanted to make something that was compact, an all-in-one guide for anybody to be able to just get up to speed with financial literacy, no matter where they are in life. So it was mainly geared towards millennials, but it's really good for anybody who feels like, hey, I was never taught this when I was growing up. So I was never taught about finances. I was never taught about credit cards, mortgages, things of that nature. So Definitely wanted to get an easy resource for everybody to be able to just refer back to anytime and learn as much as they need. So as learn as much as possible. As a guy who really messed up his money when he was young, I, I kind of feel like after even reading the introduction, like you were writing to yourself, like you're going back because you begin your book with this powerful introduction and I'm going to read it to everybody because it's it's very powerful. You You open the book by saying, We live in a world of instant gratification, and as a result, many of us have made our fair share of bad spending choices trying to appease our own sense of identity, or even worse, trying to keep up with the Joneses. This was you, right? Tell everybody your story. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so I always wanted to make a lot of money, but the issue was I really didn't have much discipline when it came to spending. It's just like the way that I was raised, honestly. Um, You know, if we saw something we liked, we bought it. And whether we needed to buy it on credit, that's fine. You know, everybody starts out with credit cards saying, hey, yeah, when I get my first credit card, I'm going to be disciplined. And you usually are with maybe like the first small limit, but then you start getting bigger limits and bigger limits. So I was given a Navy Federal credit card and they gave me a limit of $15,000. And I think I was 19 or 20. They gave me a $15,000 credit limit. 
<laughs> that's and a, you, you that's, know how that went. Well, that's a hell of a party. Yeah, yeah. So you know how that went. So, you know, I just kind of like went crazy with it. So Christmas came and I started buying gifts and I started buying stuff for myself. And then before I knew it, I had a ton of debt. So I was really deep in credit card debt and I had to figure out a way to get out. So really, that's 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 what happened to me. And um, fortunately, I was able to get an overseas contracting position that immediately doubled my salary. And then when you're working overseas, a lot of people might not be familiar with it, but you're living for free. So I was paying a mortgage before I didn't have to pay my mortgage anymore, didn't have to pay for my car anymore. I sold my car right before I deployed. I didn't have to pay any any expenses. They were all covered. Food, everything's all covered. So while I was overseas, I was able to just like buckle down, pay off the debt. And then I started investing heavily. I started heavily investing. I was always investing in stocks, but started heavily investing after um, I paid off all of my debt when I got overseas. Isn't it wild how, just as an aside, that, um, I don't know, I feel like when we get in trouble, because like I remember my darkest days of debt, that the universe just kind of sends, I, I mean, it's so weird that that opportunity came right when you needed it. Literally, right right when I needed it. I'll never forget, um, before I deployed, I cut all my credit cards up. And I still have the baggie to this day. Of Do the you really? That I cut up. Yeah, yeah, I still have them. So I cut up all of my credit cards and, you know, I was just like, this has to end, right? So when it's time to get rid of that debt, you have to just cut off all access to the credit cards because no matter what you tell yourself, like, yeah, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to be disciplined. It, it does not happen overnight. And, you know, it's your habit. It's really, you said that this problem really in your book, you say that this problem really happened. It was credit cards, but also it really hit home when you bought a house and you hadn't yeah. really done the math on owning the house and having the credit card debt. No. Yeah. I didn't do the math at all. So what a lot of people might not know, or if you bought a house before, you know, they'll tell you, Hey, you know, you've been approved for a certain amount. And when you factor in that mortgage, you don't really take into account the other debt that you have. So I had a $2,300 mortgage and then I had, I think it was about maybe $1,000 or $1,500 in monthly minimum payments. So obviously I had to get rid of all of those minimum payments. I had to get rid of these credit cards. It was just, you know, I was up to my neck in debt. So at the time I was fresh out of college making a little over 70000 a year. But wow. you know, after taxes, yeah, after yeah. taxes and all of the debt and everything, it, it's not much. And I also had a brand new car which was something in itself. You know, I, the story about the car is I was headed down to Richmond. I went to college at VCU, uh, Virginia Commonwealth. So I was driving down to Richmond. Um, my transmission went out and instead of just buying a new transmission for $4,000 or going to, you know, a smaller mom and pop place paying probably half of that, I decided, hey, you know, I'll just get a new car. I've had this car since I was, I think I was 16. I had the car and I was like, you know, I'll just get a new car. I should have just replaced that transmission. And then so I had a new car and a new mortgage at the same time, basically. So I, I got the new car at the same time I got the new mortgage. And that was just a bad idea, a terrible idea. <laughs> well, well, it is, it's funny. And by the way, I think it's super cool that you tell these stories. Uh, so other people don't <laughs> get into, get into these same problems. And the fact that you do so well with money now, 
is a testament to everybody that you can work through it. And at some point, you know, you'll get to be on the Stacking Benjamin show. No, I'm kidding. The, the, <laughs> yes, which I'm sure is the highlight bees of your entire career. This is this is probably definitely. yes, yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely the highlight <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm excited. But but that first sentence that I read earlier about trying to appease your own sense of identity, right? Mm-hmm. New car nice house, like that sense of identity, but also it's keeping up with the Jones at the same time, because clearly you wouldn't have made those moves unless you thought that it was what everybody else was doing. Right, right. So, so I I thought that I was still, you know, being very, not frugal, but I didn't think that I was going over the top because I had a Nissan Altima and I bought another Nissan Altima. So it's not like I went from a Nissan to a Benz, right? Right, right. So I was just thinking, well, you know, I get a newer car because this one is old and, you know, that's how I ended up where I was. But if I would have just sat down and just thought about it for a second. So I think that's something that a lot of people need to do before you make any big financial financial decision, just sit down and think about what you're about to do. Maybe just analyze, okay, if I if I make this decision, what's my financial situation going to look like afterwards? So that was really my big issue. I didn't, I did not do that at all. So once I added that, the new car and then my insurance went way up. So before my insurance was about $70 and then with the new car, it doubled to 140. So I had that and I had, now I had a car payment. I didn't have one before. So no car payment to $300 a month plus the 140 in insurance. So that's, that's just night and day. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. The process, by the way, of going through and asking yourself questions and about building a foundation, which is where you start in your book, you start off with terms. And I kind of laugh because, as you know, there's so there's so much jargon that makes it so much harder than it needs to be in Mm -hmm. in your big list of terms that you go over. What are some of the ones that you think make people stumble more than others? Refinancing is another term that gets people caught up. A lot of people, again, they just don't understand what it means to refinance their debt. I see a lot of people that, you know, let their debt get out of hand when they could have simply refinanced before they continue to go down the path with the high interest rate loan. So whether they got a car loan, maybe it was their first time buying a car, they end up getting a loan from a buy here, pay here lot for maybe like 15 to 20 percent. You know, they they can refinance. So a lot of people did not know, you know, until I started talking about it, a lot of people had no idea they could refinance a car. They just thought, you know, you buy a car and then that's that you're stuck forever. Well, and I also like the fact that you point out that places like you mentioned Navy Federal as an example, like your local credit union, you don't have to get financing on the lot. Like you make it clear, Hey, look at these other places when you go banking to see if there's maybe a better interest rate. Right, exactly. So that's another thing a lot of people aren't familiar with. You you have to shop around. So the same way you're looking for a deal when you're trying to buy something, try to find the best price. You want to find the best interest rate and the best offer that you can get from either a local credit union or your bank that you bank with, preferably a credit union. When you talk about banks and credit unions, that is literally the next thing in the kit after the list of some yeah. of the crap jargon that people use. Why do you start with banks? I start with banks just so people understand, like really that's the basics, right? So you you make your money, but what you do with your money is extremely important as well. So 20% of Americans are unbanked. 
they don't have a bank account at all. So you want to make sure that you are putting your money into a bank account so you're not facing fees from check cashing places or just like, you know, you're not getting your money immediately just to make your money management much easier. So it's much easier to manage your money if you have a bank account to see it with. And a lot of people, they end up getting hit with a lot of fees from these banks. So credit unions are more favorable, in my opinion, because most of them, you can make an unlimited amount of bank accounts within the bank and or within the credit union. Once you make these accounts, you don't have any fees. So like I use Navy Federal and I have maybe like eight different accounts with them. And it's so simple to open a new account. You just go online, hit open account. Boom. You're not paying any fees. And I I mainly, like I said, I, I like to separate my money. So I mainly just separate it out through Navy Federal with the different bank accounts. I was going to ask you about that. Are, are you using mm-hmm. then for your budget then like an envelope type system where you've got eight different yeah. envelopes? Is that what you're doing? Why eight? Yeah, yeah. So I have eight mainly because a few are my mom. We have some joint accounts. It's a digital envelope system. Most people don't use cash anymore. So I look at it as a a digital envelope system and I call it money allocation. So my primary way of using it, um, make sure that you have a bills account that you put all of your bills money in through direct deposit. So you don't even have to think about it. Um, I have a debit card account strictly for debit card spending where I don't keep too much money in it because, you know, nowadays there are a lot of scammers. So you don't want to have just all of your money sitting in your debit account because you are very susceptible to facing fraud. Is that also then your your fun account or is that also bills and you just move money over to the debit account whenever you pay a bill with debit? Yeah. So I have another account that I kind of like just it's my fun account. Right. So I keep that. Yeah. So my my main thing is so two checking accounts, one for your debit card only one for like your just fun account. And then I have another checking account for the bills. And then all of my savings are in an online savings account, which I use Barclays and I use some crypto saving accounts. So that's how I manage my money. I like to I like to keep the big money out of sight, out of mind. Again, my habits, if I see it, I'm probably going to spend it. So I like it just out of sight, out of mind. I forget that I even have the Barclays account. So I, I have automatic direct deposits that allocate my money immediately and automatically for me. I thought that was powerful, too. There's just this overwhelming, maybe unsaid, just kind of know yourself and know your, like when you talk about the different ways of budgeting, it's it's much more about knowing yourself than it is about one perfect way to do everything. Exactly, exactly. So it's personal finance. So everything is personal to you. So once you figure out who you are, it makes your life so much easier. You know, my strategy might not work for everybody, but I definitely believe that you should, at bare minimum, separate your money. Yeah. Like, bare minimum, a different bills account, a different debit account, and a separate savings account. I love the debit card advice because I've had that account hacked and a lot of people have had it hacked, but also I like it because if it's in that account, I'm, I'm just going to spend it. Like I've got a, I've, bees, I've got the biggest spender habit. If money's available, like, you know, they say for the average person to use cash, that doesn't work for me. If I've got 20 bucks in my wallet right now, I will spend that money. But if I've got to take out plastic, I don't spend it. So for me, it's the opposite of what you usually hear. Right, right, exactly. That that's how most people are. You know, if money's available, you're going to spend it. It and my philosophy is any money that isn't allocated will be spent. Yeah. 100%. Somebody else <laughs> is allocating it for me, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to move to your next piece of your foundation, 
which is you talk about four things people need to make sure they address next in the starter kit, which is their emergency fund, stocks, real estate or REITs, uh, real estate investment trust, and life insurance. Two things. Let's start with the emergency fund. How did you find building that work best? Was there a best way to build your emergency fund or way to think about your emergency fund? Um, For me, using the online saving account and if you have a job, you know, making sure that your direct deposits are set up. I decided, you know, to figure out how much do I want to have in my emergency fund. So first, just started out with three months worth and then divide that by however many times you'll get paid over the three months. You know, if that doesn't work for you, of course, you can spread it out over a longer period of time. So whatever amount you need to be able to um, fund your emergency fund, I think that's the best way to do it. Like I said, out of sight, out of mind. My main focus was just let me get this emergency fund because if anything happens, I want to make sure I have money to fall back on. So that was just my main priority. So Um, out of all four of these, that was job one. Yeah, that was job one. Yeah, I prefer to fund your emergency fund first because you never know what can happen. And with COVID, we see that, yeah. you know, you can have a job today and be laid off tomorrow. Unfortunately, that's just, that's the way that things are. So I would definitely say fund the emergency fund first. And then from there, make sure you start attacking your consumer debt. Now, when you talk about saving though, the question we get all the time that I'm sure you get is, should I do stocks or should I do real estate? And you say both, like it's not an either or, uh, why both? For sure. I say both mainly because real estate will bring you cash flow. Over this past year, I've realized how important cash flow is. I'm sure everybody has, right? So um, when you invest in real estate, you'll be able to get cash flow and appreciation, and you can also pass it down to your future generations. So, you know, you're just getting um, a plethora of just wealth creation just by investing in real estate. But then with the stocks as well, you want to also make sure you have the stock exposure because once you invest into your stock funds, you'll be able to just easily have your money grow over time without any interaction from you. So it's basically, it's really passive investing. So my favorite way to invest is into um, index funds. So I'm a big fan of Vanguard's index fund. My 401k is 100% in Vanguard's uh, total stock market index fund. Yeah, that's a lot of people in our community. And that's, and that's great, especially, by the way, when you're starting out. Why make it complicated when you can own a little bit of everything, right? Don't overthink this. Right. Exactly. So JL Collins, his stock series, that is really what changed my mind about stocks completely. You know, he was able to save so much money, retire, pay for his kids education all off of basically just one index fund. So, you know, my mind, I feel like it's hard for me to stay focused on many different things. I like to make everything as simple as possible. Once you make your strategy complicated, you won't even remember what you're doing. So if you can't easily tell somebody, hey, what's what's your strategy for building wealth or wherever you are in your financial path, there's no way that you're going to actually execute. Talk about complicated. The fourth pillar that you have in your starter area is life insurance. And as you know, that life insurance can be super complicated. So where do you start with life insurance? Yeah. So with life insurance, I would definitely say if you have a job, um, start out with life insurance through your job. It's usually very affordable. If you need more life insurance outside of that, you can get your own term life insurance. So for me, I, I think that everybody should get term insurance first just to make sure, you know, you're good to go. You have a good amount of term. The book is the Financial Starter Kit, Gain Financial Literacy and Avoid the Pitfalls of the American Dream. Uh, where do we find it, Bees? 
Oh, so you can find my book on Amazon. So if you go on Amazon, you can find it, Financial Starter Kit. And then you can also just go to financialstarterkit.com. So that's definitely where you can check out my book and learn more about me. And by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't talk for a second about your app, Giffetize. Making an app, first of all, just what made you decide that you wanted to make an app and put that out there in the universe? Yeah. So this was my first attempt at investing in myself and just, you know, making my own business and putting my thoughts out into the world. So um, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a computer science degree and I didn't actually develop the app because what I was doing is completely different. Um, I was doing defense contracting. I was programming radars, not making mobile apps. So uh, (laughs) uh, when it came to Giffetize, my idea was I'm a major Twitter user. That's it's what I do. You can usually find me on Twitter all day, every day. So on Twitter back then, even now, you still weren't you weren't able to download gifts from Twitter. So I asked around and I, I couldn't find any answers. So I just said, you know what, maybe I can make an app that downloads gifts from Twitter. And now it's transformed into an app that downloads gifts and videos from Twitter. And you're able to share them across different platforms. So that's why I made Giffetize just for my own personal gain. And I felt like everybody else on Twitter would enjoy this too. That's funny. So you saw a thing that didn't exist that you needed and then made it. Was it difficult finding developers for it? It actually wasn't that difficult. So I ended up going on to Upwork yeah. to find my developer. Yeah. And um, I looked through a bunch of different developers. I put out an ad as well. And then after filtering through, um, he really wasn't hard to find. So it's not as hard as people think it is. If you go on to Upwork, you probably can find somebody to do just about anything you want or Fiverr. So, but Fiverr's for more, you know, creative needs, but Upworks, you can find somebody to do anything technical. It's really clean. It's a clean app. It's, uh, it's, we'll link to it in our show notes page. I was fascinated. I'm like, she's got her own app too. What if, what does she not do? Uh, thanks a ton for hanging out with us and helping people with their financial starter kit. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on Joe. Stackers, I'm your trivia pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I knew immediately that today was a special day, the moment I woke up. Sure enough, turns out that the infamous Nostradamus was born on this date in 1503. Why is this important, you ask? Only because I'm the great, 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 great grandson of this very same Nostradamus. Don't believe me? Well, I'm going to prove it with some predictions for 2021 in just a moment. So grab a pen and paper, peeps, because it's about to get real. But before I do, I first must share your trivia. Despite 2020 being the worst, the market has actually performed far better than you might think. As of mid-last week, since none of you can tell the future, what has been the year-to-date return of the S&P 500? I'll be back. Now, there's your first prediction. Well, hey, stackers, how about this? What if you made it through the holiday season paying your credit cards off on time? Well, if you do, you want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. And how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover's accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. to take credit cards. When it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. And here's a question. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the holidays and around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Hey, stackers, I'm your fortune teller, the great, 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 great grandson of Nostradamus, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm ready for your 2021 predictions. First, stock market will rise and fall in price. Let me concentrate. Daily. The answer is daily. Let it be so. Second, July 20th of 2021 will be on a, hold it. I'm I'm getting something here. July 20th, 2021 is going to be on a Tuesday. Mark it down, people. I said it right here. So it shall come to pass. Third, Joe and OG will. It's right here. I'm seeing the answer appear before me. Joe and OG will no longer fit in their current pants. Let it be done. See, you're welcome, America and Canada and uh, people in Africa and Asia and, and the Canadians uh, and then the Canadians living in Europe I bet you're all true believers now aren't you so let's get back to today's non-mind-bending trivia what is last week's year-to-date return for the S&P 500 if you said just over 13% well that's an unlucky number then you were right See, 2020 hasn't been all bad. I gotta go. Because it has been written. Farewell. Can we make a prediction that Doug doesn't last through 2021? Yikes. I'm not Nostradamus, but... Job security is in jeopardy. Saying my pants won't fit. Come on. He's... You need to start eating Chipotle and Chick-fil-A. I'm going to lose all that weight. Be a door That's exactly what's going to happen. You just got to get the grilled nuggets, though. The grilled nuggets are the key. Yeah. And cut back to the medium fries? No, no. You can't have fries when you're on a Chick-fil-A diet. Like whoa, whoa, salad whoa. or a fruit cup. Salad or fruit cup? You ruined the whole reason you go to Chick-fil-A in the first place. Have you had a fruit cup from Chick-fil-A? They have don't you- screw around. They put the good fruit in there. It's not that crappy green melon crap. It's legit. It's like the little oranges. Okay. Have you had the, the strawberry shake? Just saying. No. The peach shake. Have. Actually, the peach shake. No. See, but let's stop. Let's stop because I'm because I'm getting hungry. And what's bad is I just had breakfast and I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting hungry. So I'm supposed to order um, DoorDash what? Stop. Peach shake. Easy. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline quickly. Get off this shake. topic and tackle some of life's tackle. Let's tackle. Some of life's most important questions, OG. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what, oh man, I can't, I shouldn't even ask this. Don't ask it, just keep going. They put what you value first. Don't say it because it's your loved ones and your time. 
why they made buying quality term life insurance simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And the point here, guys, is you get it over with. You get a quote right away. Their application, they've gotten rid of all those baloney questions that they don't even care about. They've actually looked at the application and said, what do we really need to know? Takes a fraction of the time to get it done. And this is what you want, especially in holiday season. Get your life insurance done. StackingBenjamins.com, just like B said, get your life insurance done. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Tyler. Say hi, Tyler. Hey, stackers, Tyler calling in from beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. I got a quick question that I hope will be fairly easy for you to answer. My sister is having a baby in just a couple weeks, and this will be my first niece or nephew. And I am hoping to give her the gift of financial freedom in a way. But basically for her first Christmas, since I don't think she would enjoy any toys or anything like that, I'm hoping to get her something that will accrue interest and be maybe a nice juicy thing that she can open when 18. And basically what I'm thinking is every year at Christmas, put in $100 or $50, whatever it's going to be, and do that you know every year until she's 18 and then give it to her. But I'm not really sure what the best way to go about it is or what my options are. For context, my dad is starting a some sort of a college fund for her. And so I could just put it in there, but then, you know, I don't get the credit when she just gets it in one fell swoop because she'll think it's just all for my dad. So I hope that makes sense. And I hope you guys got some good answers for me. Thanks. Oh, that's awesome. Nice job, Tyler. Congratulations, by the way, on the new niece or nephew. You can hear how excited Tyler is to be a positive influence. You could have started earlier on that. OG being a positive influence, being a positive influence. Yes. I mean, deciding six months ago that you got to finally get that done. I'm quite often under the influence. (laughs) Does that count? I didn't see that coming. I'm sorry. Usually I see your, your smart ass stuff coming in. That one hit me. Sorry. Yeah. I got nothing. I got nothing. Let's move on. Tyler, uh, help him out, man. So many different options here. I can tell you what we did in our family and kind of how that's materialized over the years. We started, my wife and I started a college fund for our first nephew, and then also for our first niece. Now, we didn't do it for all of them, because my siblings and her sisters started popping out kids like crazy, and (laughs) OG ain't got that kind of money. But here's what I did find out that happened. Firstly, with the 529 for my nephew, who actually just turned 18, he's going to graduate high school here uh, this year, they have no idea the money's there. And it's pretty awesome, actually, because they have no concept that that pile of money's there. It worked out to be, I think, probably now it's at maybe seven or eight grand. So it's not a ton, but we were doing, you know, 50 bucks a month. And then sometimes we did, a, you know, a lump sum of 500 or 100 or something. You know, it's just very random, but there was always something going into it $25 or something like that. The power of compounding is crazy. And then my niece is the same way. But what we found is this. For my nephew, we've got this money, but he doesn't kind of need it. Plus, we've got a good cash reserve. So if he does need it or want it, I would just rather give him the cash. In the meantime, I've had three kids of my own. The oldest is 13. The youngest is four. I kind of selfishly just changed the beneficiary on that 529 to my daughter. Knowing full well that if my nephew Gabe goes, 
man, I'm really short for college. Or if I'm talking to my brother and he's bringing it up, I know that I've got that money, quote unquote, set aside. I can just pick it up out of cash because it's been almost 20 years. Because you don't know. The thing is, is that you don't know what your life looks like in 20 years. What if you got 10 of your own kids and you're like, dang it, my nephew's got college taken care of, but I ain't got nothing for my kids. You know, you want some flexibility there. I liked it. It worked out really good. It was a little forced savings plan for us. And on the back end of it, we're actually going to be able to pay for our daughter's college using the money that we save for our nephew. And then if he doesn't need it, so be it. I'll give him a check when he graduates college. If he does, we've got the cash accessible anyway in in regular, you know, kind of non-retirement accounts. If you're looking for something that's not college, I don't know how you can beat something like a custodial account, uh, UGMA account is what they call it. You can open those anywhere. You know, you can open it at TD. You can open it at Schwab Fidelity. You need your niece's birthday. You need her social, need her address, and then you can put it in whatever you want and as frequently as you want it and invest it however you want and, you know, just let it ride and see what happens. You'll be surprised over 20 years how $25 a month or $50 a month turns into like eight or 10 grand, kind of sort of not on purpose. But I really love the idea of doing it without letting them know because 18-year-olds are really stupid with money. Even the smart ones are stupid with money. Having it and knowing that it's there can take a little, you know, wind out of the sails of motivation. So it's better to probably have it and then kind of swoop in and say, Uncle Tyler's got you hooked up. You need a new car? Check this out. Uncle Tyler's got you hooked up. I got 10 grand. What kind of car you want to buy? And then you're cool, right? If you just the whole time, like, look at how much money you have you get when you're 18, they, you know, there's... Well, it depends too on what you want. I mean, with your son, you're using Stockpile because you're doing it to but I'm help doing him. that with him, yeah. Well, you're doing it with him to help him learn about it, but you're contributing to that. I'm not contributing to it. I thought you said you did contribute to it. Isn't it like 50-50? No, my kid, uh, well, I mean, I guess by default, I'm contributing. <laughs> when he gets allowance money or chores, and then he puts it in. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I'm putting all the money in. You're right. <laughs> well, these are some of the things that if if the goal is to teach them about money, I had a few options. Stockpile was number one. Yeah, but right? that's down the line a ways. That's like when they're like nine or 10. Well, but if they- are not doing that to an infant. But they can even, you can even tell them when they're eight years old or seven years old, hey, I gave this to you when you were born and here's the, you know, here's here's what you own now. Check this out. You had nine Lullaby years. You didn't touch it. What was the lesson? Don't do anything about it. Go to sleep, Apple stock. I don't think it has the. No, it doesn't have the. Well, same the, the other two then maybe for people with older kids. I also like Goal Setter, GoalSetter.co. We've had Tanya Van Court on the show. She actually went to the Sharks. Uh, Richie, will link to this in our show notes. She went in front of the Sharks and told them no. Nice. Yeah, how about that? But uh, Tanya has a heck of a product, and it's teaching the whole family about money. For my uh, nieces, we're doing the same thing you did, OG. And here's the deal. It isn't about the kids and what they're doing. We're doing a 529 plan. I'm doing it straight through You Promise. And we're doing the 529 plan because of the fact that I can have us, Cheryl and I, as the owners of it. And my nieces is the beneficiary because I don't trust their parents with money based on some past things that have happened in the family, if we put money in a fund and we hand it over to these family members, the the money's going to be gone. They're going to find a reason to quote, borrow it from my nieces 
and it will never get paid back just based on, and, nice. and you know what, maybe that's too cynical, but just based on past performance, that's well, what. No, it's not. The thing is, is that you want to do the right thing by having it compound over a long period of time and have like a little bit turn into a lot. So you have to eliminate the obstacles that would blow that up along the way. I'm and just whether, saying it's horrible when the obstacle is mom. It's true. hundred percent, but you don't know. Tyler doesn't know that that obstacle doesn't exist in his life either yet. You know, because there's plenty of justification for it, right? Like, hey, you know, we've been out of work for a couple of months. We need a little money from the kitty, right? That's why I'm a big fan of like, this is just, I would not make a big production of like, I didn't get you a Christmas gift because I put the 50 bucks in your brokerage account. Just do it, do it yourself and just keep your ear to the ground of like when something happens and, you know, it's 15 years down the line or 20 years down the line. What happens if your niece or nephew gets into like Juilliard and it's like a gazillion dollars, but it's not college and the parents are sweating it and you go, Hey, I didn't tell you about this, but, um, yeah, I got like, probably not a ton, but I got like six grand sitting in an account I've been saving since day one, you know, like that's where that's super useful. If the whole time you're, you're like, Hey, look, look at me. I put 50 bucks in this account. You're going to run into an obstacle. The obstacle is going to be some catastrophe that comes up over the next two decades that's unforeseen that will get your fingers in it. So I think what you're doing is great with or without the the parent issue of like, yeah. you know, yeah. the thing that you know that's going to happen. I, I bet you it happens probably to everybody, which is why they have rules on 401k withdrawals. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all take our money out of our 401ks. You see that all the time. People are like, well, I need the car now. Not only do they buy a car a with COVID their- COVID loan. I need it. Right. For what? Just because they, they said I could take the money out without a penalty. Yeah, but do you need the money? I mean, this this Yukon's not going to pay for itself. Check out my new Xbox. Hey, now. Got that with COVID money. Them's fighting words. What, you think that's a good use of the of the COVID, COVID money? The Xbox X? Well, I mean. Did you see, by the way, the story about the guy that told his wife, because the PlayStation 5 is so funky looking, he sat it like next to the TV and told her it was an air purifier because she didn't want him buying a game system. <laughs> nice. No, I didn't hear that. And then she found out what it was and she she sold it. Sold it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, got rid did of it. Did he get a divorce? I, yeah, that, that's, that's the line. That would that would be what happens. Is that the line in the OG family right there? What, the Xbox is gone? Yeah. Pack your stuff, devil woman. <laughs> You're out of here. Uh, thanks for the question, Tyler. You got a question. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, congratulations again, Tyler. And also, we, uh, you know, we're going to do two things for Tyler. Number one, like everyone else who calls in and is brave and leaves us a voicemail, feel free to send us an email. But if you send us a voicemail, we're going to give you some Stacky Benjamin swag. So we'll have Gertrude, uh, mom's friend Gertrude, send that along. But we'll also, uh, we got a little something for the baby too, that maybe can be from you as well, Tyler. You don't have to tell them you're regifting it. We'll give it to you and then you can you can give it to the your niece or nephew. So congratulations. All right, that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, I'll let Doug do most of the thank yous. Coming up on Wednesday, man, do we have a guy who is a legend among money geeks, Paul Merriman joining us. Oh, gee, how about that? There's a big name. I was listening to Paul Merriman when I was a financial planner. I remember Paul- a cassette tape. 
Yeah, right. I remember Paul Merriman in the 90s, his radio show. And uh, Paul Merriman has, for us, I think in total he has 12 actions, each of which will put a million dollars into a new savers portfolio. But he's going to obviously give us as many as he can. And uh, we've talked about hopefully getting through five. So we're going to hopefully make everybody five million bucks on Wednesday. Way to set the bar and expectations. That's right. In the, in the ballpark of reasonability. <laughs> but I like it. I like it. You're swinging for the fences. I have to say that most of these, because it's meant for young people, and um, it helps if you're 20 years old. So uh, have all your young people around you. Is it twice as good if you're 20 twice already? Sadly, no. Oh, it's half as good. Actually, well, because of the law of compounding interest, it's probably a little less than half as good. Like a third good. But it's still good. It's still good. Yes. It's coming up Wednesday. Doug, what should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. I'll help you out. Hey, everybody. Here's what we should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our headlines and Jonathan Silver from Affinity Solutions. Spending money this year? If you're like the average person, yes, you are. But remember, to spend lavishly on things you love while ruthlessly cutting spending on the stuff you don't care about to get ahead more quickly. Second, take a lesson from Simone Bees. What's in your financial starter kit? It should contain an emergency fund, a debt payment strategy, and a risk management strategy. Got those? You're on solid foundation. But the big takeaway, Joe's mom is cruel. She said, if I was really Nostradamus's great, 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 great-grandson, then why didn't I see this coming? And then she slugged my arm. God, that lady's got a hammer. Check this out, Ma. I predict the credits are going to start right now. Now do you believe me? Special thanks to Simone for joining Joe today. You can get a link to Simone's book, Financial Starter Kit, on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, you can check out her new podcast, Four Goals and a Mic, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Silver, CEO of Affinity Solutions, for joining Joe today to discuss our spending during this pandemic. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Why did you hand me this birthday list just before we went live? Like, what, what is this all about? Are you 13 handing over, like, here's what I want for my birthday? Uh, well, you just don't get what you don't ask for. So, well, and by the way, do you even think I was going to get you a present again after what you did with the present I gave you last year? Like, come on, dude. I thought that we had a good year at Stacking Benjamin's. So maybe you had a little extra and you were going to just, just for everybody else, this is what, so last year I go over and above and I get OG what I thought was this super gift for his birthday. I get him this premium Target boxed wine, just like a super magnum of it. I get this video in front of your house where you've got it and you know the the grate that goes into the sewer system. OG not only dumps it out and doesn't tell me, he's got like this video of him slowly from the tap just like it's going into the it's going into the sewer while he's looking right into the camera thanking me for the fantastic gift. I wish that any of that was actually true because that would be a pretty epic video. What do you, what do you mean that's it? not true? And the stuff, by the way, on this year's list, really a gold belt buckle. And you say right here, by the way, not silver. It's got to be gold because it goes with your hair. Like what? The, I think you have me confused with Doug. By the way, the wine that you did leave us after you stayed at my house for, for the summer uh, was actually pretty good. So thank you for that. We had it the other night. Earthquake. Oh, isn't that, that stuff's Michael David wines are fantastic. Well, I might get you the belt buckle, but I'm not putting the word cowboy on it, just so you know. Or the latest season of Dancing with the Stars on DVD. Who does DVD anymore? I don't know what I did to deserve all of this conversation right now. After a pretty epic show, I thought. I love this. Just get. Deny, 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 deny. Just deny. the after show. Den- no. I, okay. Deny it. We know, we know the truth. The truth is out there, OG. Cheer that. That's the doorbell. I got I to gotta go get it. Later, everybody. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.